Change is healthy. Change is good. Change is necessary. Change is terrifying. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, managing editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain podcast. Organizations are a natural outgrowth of human relationships. We have to come together in groups in order to get things done. Yet at some point, every organization must confront the challenge of enacting change. There's something in our nature that resists it, that prefers the safety of how things were done before and the people with whom we're familiar. So how can we accept and embrace change, which is vital to the survival of the very groups that tend to resist it? And how can we break down those deadly functional silos? Those are the questions that we intend to tackle today. I'm joined by two co-hosts, P.J. Shelton, Deputy Sector Navigator for Global Trade and Logistics with the Peralta Community College District, and Stacy Heiligenthaler, Special Education Administrator of the Norwalk Public Schools in Norwalk, Connecticut. We'll be questioning Dr. Dwayne Hart, Vice President of Administration and Chief Financial Officer at Grand Prairie Regional College in Alberta, Canada. What he has to say about group behavior can apply to just about any organization, whether in business, education, or any other sector requiring joint effort. So here is our conversation with Dwayne Hart. do things a little differently this time around. I'm happy to have a couple of co-hosts on the show with me today, and I'd like them to introduce themselves and tell a little bit about who they are and what they're up to. PJ, PJ Shelton, what are we doing here today? Well, hi, Bob. First of all, thank you so very much for having us as your co-host in this podcast session. We're here today to really begin a discussion on how, how do we live in an organizational system, whether it's business or educational. That's the first component. And in doing that, Bob, we're also looking at doing this in the context of a PhD program, where we're examining and discussing these exact issues. With that, Bob, I'd really like to bring on my colleague in this adventure, Stacy. Hi. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, PJ. I'm very excited to be part of this and talking about how we look at organizations and how do we make changes within those systems and really having that discussion amongst all of us tonight. Well, I'm so happy to have both of you on the show at this point then. I'm going to turn it back to PJ. And PJ, would you please introduce our guest for today? I'd be happy to. I've had the privilege of introducing this gentleman, Dr. Dwayne Hart, at another conference, the NACI conference, National Association for Community College Entrepreneurs. Dr. Hart, are you with us right now on the line? Hi, PJ. Good to be here. Welcome. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, I'd be honored to. My background includes approximately 18 years in post-secondary, both at the university level and the community college level. I've held numerous positions in both the university and college sector, and I'm currently the Vice President of Administration and Chief Financial Officer at Grand Prairie Regional College in Alberta, Canada. 
My background also includes oil and gas, retail, and agriculture. I'm also a CPA by trade, and this combines very well in the college sector where we're dealing with students and uh, trying to figure out how best to take our resources and put them to the best use. Thank you, Dr. Hart. Stacey, would you mind giving us the first question that we'd like to ask Dr. Hart this evening? Sure. Thanks, PJ. Thank you, Dr. Hart, for joining us. So I'm going to start with the big question. What do you see as one of the biggest obstacles in organizational change? Well, Stacey, I think one of the biggest obstacles is ensuring that everyone knows what page you're on. So this takes information sharing, communication, transparency, and with all this, it includes good planning. So when you're doing organizational change, you have to really look at what it is you're trying to achieve and where you've been. And then you have to develop the roadmap of how you're going to get there. And as you're going along, people have a lot of fears, doubts, unknowns that are going to happen to them. Change is a scary word for a lot of people. Other people get really excited. So when you're looking at organizational change, you have to take this all into consideration, even before you start step one. Dr. Hart, you know, you and I have had a great deal of conversations about change and systems. My question that I'd like to ask, and I think I think you explained it beautifully when we had our conversation. How do we go about tearing down silos? Well, PJ, silos is is one of those things where people get into comfort zones and they start to trust people within their silos and, and not so much in the other silos. There's suspicion. There's fear. I'm going to use that word again. Taking down silos, you have to find common goals that they can all find and work with. When you're in a post-secondary, quite often there's different departments, divisions, schools, and each one of these has a territory that they want to protect. When you're looking at it, it, whether you're in a private company or an educational setting, it's always guarding your budget, guarding your people, guarding your assets. And so these people don't want to give any ground because if something's taken away from them, it may be something they never get back. And that's what creates a lot of silos. It's us versus them mentality. So you've got to take it to the next level. You've got to make it a combination us, where you break down the individual silos and make them see a common goal that we're trying to achieve. Dr. Hart, would you mind elaborating and sharing with us what you've implemented at Grand Prairie? Sure. I'm going to take one project we're working on right now. So just like many colleges across the United States and Canada, we have an excellent healthcare program. And healthcare, if you look at supply chain management, what we're doing in the college system is we're supplying workers for the hospitals, their care homes, et cetera. So we started looking at community needs. We knew that the hospital here in Grand Prairie wanted to expand. They wanted to build a brand new hospital. And they were out looking for a good location, a good site. So rather than worry about what's this going to impact our programs and such, we approached the hospital system and said, why don't you build the hospital on college land and involve the hospital and allow us to have a wing in the hospital so we can become a direct supply chain? So for organizational change for the hospital, this is huge because no one in Canada has ever put a college program directly into a hospital. For the college, it was a huge change because we've never been directly in a hospital. So it was both sides had something to lose and both sides had something to win. So when we looked at organizational change from this perspective, it was creating that common goal between the hospital, the city, and the college that created a greater good and broke down the silos in between the hospital, the college, and other providers who, who had parts of the project. Dr. Hart, you've mentioned a couple times about, talked about fear. Why do you think that people fear change? 
well, it's how is it going to affect me? I finally learned this job or I finally have the right schedule. And as soon as you start talking change, that means I'm going to have to learn new things. Am I going to be capable of doing them? What's it going to do to my schedule, my workload? Does it mean job loss for any of us? Does it mean additional people coming into the department? There's so many things that, that play on people's fears. And it's the unknown that does that. So this is where communication becomes vital. Not only communication, but transparency and communication together. Because you've got to have no secrets. You have to let them know what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen, where it's going to happen, and how it's going to affect them. Some might be positive, some might be negative, but don't hide anything. Let them know so that they can work it out themselves. Could I pick up on something that Dr. Hart said I found interesting? We're talking about the tearing down of silos. And I think another way to describe it would be that an organization consists of a series of many tribes, each of whom are familiar with one another within their own little areas, but don't want to step out of that and get and feel offended or, or feel challenged when somebody comes in and breaks that up. So I guess the question becomes, how do you redefine what is a tribe in an organization in a larger sense so that everyone feels they're part of the same organization as part, instead of a lot of little mini groups that are all trying to protect their turf from one another? That is so true, Bob. When you're looking at whether it's a business or an organization, these people have come together and have worked together. We just did an engagement survey at our college in which we asked this question, how well are you engaged with the people within your department and how well are you engaged with people outside your departments or other departments? And what was amazing is over 85% said that they were really engaged with people within their own department. That fell down below 30% when it became engaged with other departments or trusting of other departments. It's the one tribe learning the key factors that are driving the other tribes and, and learning to build that trust, that bridge of trust between the two tribes. So, Dr. Hart, within that, each tribe has their own needs, and they're all vying, when, when you look at the organization as a whole, they're all vying for resources. So how do you go about prioritizing who gets what resources when, from their perspective, they're in great need of these limited resources that are available? You know, if you can solve this one, you're going to solve a lot of people's budgeting problems. Um, <laughs> so let me have a crack at it. When it comes to budgeting or, or allocating resources, if you do it in isolation where you're just talking to one group or if we go back to the tribe rationalization to one tribe, they are going to give you all their needs and not consider the bigger picture. What you have to do, in my experience, is to get them all together in the same room. So at the college I'm currently at, we make them do a lot of upfront work. When it comes to allocation resources and figuring out what the needs of each area and what, how they rank in importance, everyone has to do a briefing note, a simple one-page briefing note on every one of their asks. Why a briefing note? Because it quickly gives you why, when, where, who, how, and on the financial front of things, what it's going to cost. So when they bring it in, and you can see, so when we're trying to provide education to a vast array of schools and different programs across across the college sector, and we do everything from vocational training such as welding and, and woodworking and heavy metal, uh, heavy mechanics, to everything up to licensed practical nurse and bachelor nursing, so quite an array of programs. How do you decide what need is greater? And what I found find works very well is you put them all in the same room. And for the first two days of budgeting, all we do 
is no no decisions are made. We're just describing what the needs are. And this is interesting because if you don't do it where everyone gets a fair say, there's always those people who are very articulate and are very good at telling you what you need. And then the other side of that coin is there's those people who are shy, who, who can't really uh, articulate what they want or what they need. But if they've had to write a business case, and they're very simple, and we keep it to a very simplistic type model, everyone comes in and reads their business cases. And at the end of it all, two days of reading just saying that there's no voting, no ranking. And then we get into the voting and ranking of what the needs are. And what we do is if I'm just going to make some fictitious numbers, if we have a million dollars that we can allocate out, we start with a million dollars. And from that, uh, we start going down and finding what everyone feels is the greatest need for the greatest good of the college. And you just continue to do that. And at the end, you don't stop because eventually that million dollars is spent and there's a bunch of people whose needs aren't met. And then we just go and do impact statements of what happens if they don't get their needs. Let me ask you this. Since we're on the subject of systems, the general definition of a system is a collection of components that interact with one another to actually function as a whole. With that, how do you see the community college as a system functioning as a whole? Well, PJ, when you look at a community college, we're here to provide job training and education so that people can obtain employment in the community. But we're much more than that. That first word in our name, community, as part of community college, it means we also have to be a stellar citizen within the community itself. So you'll notice that many community colleges have things such as theaters attached to them. They have music programs. They bring in uh, youth programs. We do a lot of nonprofit organizations such as Rotary or 4-H that are coming to our college to use our space. It's a comprehensive system. So we're integrated into each community that we're in. The college I'm at, we're actually in four communities around the Peace Region where Grand Prairie is located. So everything from one of our campuses being an agriculture campus to one being a forestry campus to our, the campus here in Grand Prairie being a comprehensive college campus, we have to integrate and we have to be meeting the needs of the community to the best of our ability given the limited resources that we're given. With that, Dr. Hart, often you're working within those communities and you're looking at the various priorities. So in systems change, sometimes we have to compromise in order to make things happen. Can you tell me about a time that you felt it was necessary to compromise your own immediate priorities in order to be flexible and tolerant of the priorities of the communities that you're in? So this summer, I was approached by the music department to buy a new grand piano for the music program. A grand piano, by the time you get it purchased and shipped and set up, is roughly $200,000. When we looked at the financial viability of the program, such a purchase did not make strong business sense. We have less than 40 students in that program, and yet the community was asking for a concert-style grand piano where they could do competitive pianist-type work on a concert-grade piano. Cost prohibitive, very few students using it, should we do it? When you look at scarce resources, the answer was no. Compromise-wise, the vice president academic came to me and said, this is a need in our community. I know it doesn't make business sense. I know it doesn't make program sense. But what it does do is make community sense because there is no such type of piano in this community. And the nearest big city, Edmonton, is five hours away, and people can't afford to drive back and forth. So I had to compromise my business principles 
for the betterment of the community. And it was the right decision to do because the community as a whole benefits. And sometimes when you're giving out scarce resources, that's, that's one of the compromises you have to make. May I ask a question also that relates to human behavior in an organization's being subject to change? Often change itself, as you know, can be trendy and subject to executive whims. Executives and people who drive change come and go in an organization, and when they go, somebody else comes and it's something else. And it causes a lot of people in the organization to kind of become inured to the whole concept of change. I wonder if you've heard the acronym BOHICA, B-O-H-I-C-A. It means bend over, here it comes again. This is an attitude that people take (laughs) when, oh, my goodness, it's time for change again. How do you address that animal, that particular type of person who rolls their eyes and, and covers up and just waits for the change to wash over them and does not engage when you're attempting to affect real change in an organization? Well, you've asked a pretty loaded question here, so let me try it. There's different types of change, and every person has their pet projects they want to get done, whether they will admit it or not. So sometimes when it's planned change, like I described earlier, where you take a budgeting process and we try to do change management and proper planning, those are less hard to get through. But when it's one of those what we call squirrels up here where it comes out of left field and someone wants to make this their pet project and do it, those are hard to sell. So you always have the people who are enthusiastic about getting a project going, the early adapters. And whenever one of these come along, it's the early adapters are usually pushing for the change. At the other end of the spectrum, there's the naysayers, the ones who don't believe, and here comes another change and there's no reason for it. And so the early adapters, you have to use them if it's a good change and you, and you want to move for that change, is you have to use those early adapters as your cheerleaders. And usually we split it out this way. 10% are early adapters, 10% are naysayers, and there's 80% in between sitting on the fence waiting to see who wins. The job of the, of the cheerleader or early adapter is to get that 80% off the fence and leaning towards their side because that naysayer has a lot of clout. And if you don't get the early adapters out there and helping with change, that naysayer is going to start affecting the others who are sitting on the fence, and your change could go sideways very quickly. That's great, Dr. Hard. And while you were speaking, I actually thought about three points that you brought out that I'd like to kind of sum up on this, our entire podcast for today. The specific points we've taken away from in-depth conversation that I see about organizational systems is, number one, we must work at multiple levels of scale. That's crucial. The second point, facilitate, but give up the illusion that you can direct change. That's two. And the third point that I summarized was be prepared to be surprised because systems changes are continually evolving. Bob, do you think that kind of summarizes everything that we've discussed today? I certainly do, PJ. I think that sums it up nicely. And I think that Dr. Hart has shared with us some really, really valuable perspectives on how to really enact change in any organization or anywhere where people get together. You always have the danger of stasis. And I think he's done a very good job of helping us to get through that that thicket, so to speak. Stacey, do you have any last words or any words of wisdom that you'd like to share with us? 
I want to say thank you, Dr. Hart, for sharing all this with us. And I think one of the key points that you pointed out multiple times is transparency, is that no matter what decision you're making, whether it's your priority, a community's priority, it's being transparent and sharing with everybody what's going on and that there are no secrets. And I I think that's really a key thing in working within a, a system. Well, thank you very much. It's been enjoyable to talk to you this afternoon. I would like to thank my wonderful co-hosts on this episode, P.J. Shelton and Stacy Heiligenthaler, for joining me to have this fascinating discussion on the topic of organizational change. Thanks to all of you very much for joining me. Thank you thank so you much Bob. for having us. That was my conversation with Dr. Dwayne Hart of Grand Prairie Regional College. Assisted by my co-host, P.J. Shelton of the Peralta Community College District and Stacy Heiligenthaler of Norwalk Public Schools. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.